Please turn in your New Testaments to Hebrews 11:13 through 16 as we continue through this hall of faith this summer and really ask the question, God, what does it mean to walk by faith? Hebrews 11:13 through 16, and let's pray. Oh Lord, we pray that you would teach us faith. Uh, we tend to walk by sight. You have so much more for us. If you would lift our eyes to you, Lift our eyes to your promises, lift our eyes to your callings, and all the provision that your kingdom would come, and that joy would just blossom in our lives. Give us this faith, Jesus. We pray in your holy name. Amen. This is the very word of God, Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. These all died in faith. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeting them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. There is a a recent movie about a pioneer missionary uh, named Lilius Trotter. And I want to thank uh, Pastor Mercer mentioned that movie in a recent sermon. Uh, We went to rent it. We decided to buy it. It's called, write this down please, this is an actual recommendation. You know, pastors can't recommend movies because it'll get to some bad part and you go, the pastor recommended this movie. So it is called Many Beautiful Things. Lilius Trotter was the greatest young artistic talent in Britain in the late 1800s. She was under the tutelage of the greatest art, artist, the greatest critic of art in Britain that changed more of, of the thoughts about the arts during his time than anybody else in Western civilization. John Ruskin was his name, and Ruskin told her she could be the greatest living artist in England. But Lilius Trotter was having to make another choice. There, there, was, there was a stronger current in her life, and that current, as she loved the Lord, and she loved to go down into the inner city of, of London and, and minister to people, and this was right at the time that what we call the modern missionary movement was happening, and people were going out to other countries she was called to be a missionary in Algiers, a Muslim to the Muslims. Uh, that's modern-day Tunisia. She was single, and she and two other women decided that they were going to, to go to Algiers. She failed the exam to go with the mission board, and she just went anyway. John Ruskin was beside himself with disappointment because he felt like she was, you know, just wasting her, her talent. She encountered incredible difficulty in Algiers. I mean, struggle upon struggle. She records every day her diary while she's there. Those are still accessible. 
Uh, there's depression that she goes through. There's, there's all kinds of just grabbing onto the, the, the horns of the altar in prayer and, and asking God to show up that day. But I want to tell you, Lilius Trotter never saw the major goals that she set out to accomplish on the mission field. They just didn't happen. Her big goal was to see a visible church, a group of people come together, uh, a duly uh, constituted church uh, that that would be left behind in in the wake of of she and her friends and their evangelism. Uh, It never happened. In fact, Lilius Trotter, after 40 years in Algiers, was driven out of the country by the French. It was a French colony for political reasons. One of the ladies in that film uh, speaks about Lilius Trotter. She commented that, you know, from one angle, you you could almost see it that the love, sacrificial love of Lilius Trotter was just poured out for 40 years. And it almost was like it was poured out on the hot sands of North Africa and just evaporated as soon as it was poured out. And what is the point? Lilius Trotter did not see it that way. She said in her journals that she saw her life more like a a bee that picks up pollen and goes from flower to flower, adding life and adding blessing. And she said, you know, I'm kind of like that bee. That's that's who I've been the last 40 years. And and I've just gone from person to person and and place to place and, and just given the sacrificial love of Jesus, and she loved being a missionary. It was reported, and you, if you get the movie, many beautiful things. Did I mention that? Uh, if you get the movie, it was reported on her deathbed that she suddenly looked, her countenance changed. She was radiant, and she reached her hands out. It was, it was, it was like perhaps she was seeing heaven almost. And one of the remaining friends, the other friend had died, said to her right there before her death, Lilius, do you see beautiful things? And she said, yes, many beautiful things. the name of the movie. And she died. And she woke up in a city more beautiful and wonderful than anything she had ever experienced. This morning I want to to talk about two ideas from this passage. I want to talk about the the empty hands and the open eyes of faith. The empty hands and the open eyes of faith. And then I want to talk about the overflowing reward of grace. The empty hands and open eyes of faith and the overflowing reward of God's grace. The empty hands, we don't always have our hands full of the things we'd like to have them full of. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received what was promised. Do you get it? Their hands were still empty. These all died in faith, not having received what was promised, these all, we learned last week from Pastor Hutchings, that these all is about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and they were promised in what's called the covenant several things, and they never saw the fruition of those things. Their hands remained empty 
as touching the fulfillment of the promise. They were promised a promised land. They were promised descendants as numerous as the sands or the stars of the sea, that kings would come out of Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob. They were promised that all the nations would be blessed by them. And and they didn't see it. And, And what we learn here is that faith, folks, is not about seeing it. We walk by faith not by sight. Faith is not about results. I know that's probably hard for us American type people to get a hold of because we're very results oriented. We're very tight with our time management, how we're going to invest with certain things. We want to see a return. This is good, by the way. We want to see results. But faith is not about results. Faith is about trusting As you walk with God. Verse 13. These all died in faith. The NIV 84 version says. They all were still living by faith when they died. They're just walking with God. Trusting God for the very things that he had promised. Dying with an empty hand. Concerning the promises of God. I don't know about y'all. But I am actually comforted by this. I am so glad God has pushed down on me. A truckload of results. That somehow Joseph Weed or you, you better, you know, you better get it going. You better move it. You better stir it. You better add to it. Um, you know, we just don't have the power to accomplish all these things that we would like to see happen. Now, this is about a walk more than it's about results. This is about faithfulness more than it's about achievement. If you have Christ, if you put your trust in what Christ has done for us on the cross to take away the barrier of sin that we have between us and a holy God. All that sin was placed on the Son of God who was sent by the Father to literally die on a cross to expunge, to take away, to cleanse us from that sin that stands between us as selfish people and God. If you've got Christ, that means you've got relationship. With God, if you put your trust in Christ, well, you know what that means? That means tomorrow morning you, you can get out of bed and simply walk with Him and trust Him and, and walk in His direction according to His Word and, and walk in, in, according to His provision. It's not as though the chief end or the chief purpose of man is getting a particular thing done. No, the chief purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The chief purpose of man is just to live with God and fulfill what God calls us to do with God's leading and God's provision and to enjoy Him. You know, it's funny. We, we tend to emphasize the chief end or chief purpose of man is to glorify God. We tend to de-emphasize that it's to enjoy Him. This is a relationship. These all died in faith, walking with God. Had not having received what they had been promised, their hands were empty. They just had to walk by faith. But the text also says their eyes were open. And they could see some things at a distance. And their life wasn't just about what happened 
last week or three years ago and it, or even necessarily what has to happen tomorrow. Their life was about the trajectory of God's calling and His promises to them. This is wonderful. They are lifting up their heads and they are seeing with their eyes. Matthew Henry commenting on this passage says, Faith has a clear and strong eye. It can see by faith from a long distance. Verse 13, these all died in faith, having not seen, not received what was promised, but, here it is, having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They, these promises, they greeted them from afar. Isn't that interesting language? I love this language. And you know, this, this is a very positive thing. They greeted the promises from afar. They, they weren't right there. Like you would see a friend at a long distance. And you'd say, hey, I see you. Hello. It's going to take me a while to get over there to you. But I see you. I've embraced you. And I'm, I'm heading your way. And I can't wait to get there, to be right there with you. And that's the way they felt, even though their hands were empty. Even though Lilius Trotter was just getting beat all around by the political, by some of the uh, cultural things within, within Islam, she's still saying at an old age, hey, I see the promises, I'm coming. I'm, I'm going that direction. This is what life is about. This is wonderful. It's not about results. We have a great desire to serve God according to His promises. But you know, you can... Whatever you're going through... And the book of Hebrews was written specifically to encourage the church in a time of high pressure and stress and persecution. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, regardless of what's going on here, you can, you can greet God's promises from afar and say, that's where I'm going. That, that's what's going to happen. You know, a great example of this would be ministry. You know, you can show people the, the love of Christ and, 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 and Christ's promises that that's how they'll know that Jesus is for real. That's how they'll know that we belong to Him. He says kind of a promise. You kind of greet it from afar. And as you live, you, you flow in that promise. You can tell people that it's not up to us, the, the futility that people have about trying to get to God and, and never quite getting there, the futility that we have trying to derive our meaning from this world rather than from God who created the world and redeems us. You know, you can, you can see that, that God promises that His Word doesn't come back void. His gospel is the power of God into salvation. Who knows if somebody will believe, but, but just greeting the promises and walking in that direction and loving people in His name. Do you see? You don't have to have a sure thing. You don't have to worry about closing any deals. You don't have to worry about changing anybody's heart. Just, just greet the promises. Let that be your life. It's a happy thing to walk in grace. It's a happy thing to walk in truth and move in that direction. Love people in His name. Share the good news. Our eyes of faith are open to the possibilities 
from afar as we just follow the Lord according to his promises every day. But, you know, that's not the only thing that our eyes are to be open. It's not just greeting the promises. The eyes are also open to heaven itself. Like We know the way it's going to end, and it's a new beginning, and we don't have to fear because this is the first, this is the like the forward page. That's the whole book of our existence. And, and we can see from afar, our eyes open to the certainty of our hope. And no matter what's going on in our lives, I want to tell you what, what you believe your future is, it definitely shapes who you are right now. And if you believe you belong to God, if you believe you are loved more radically by God than anybody you will ever meet, including the person you're married to, including the people that you birthed and raised, then you know what? That's a great thing. And if you believe that you're going to be with that God because He is drawing you to be with Him in a world of love forever, that's where it's going. I don't know about you. That helps me settle in a broken world. Verse 13, read with me again. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but seeing in them and greeting them from afar, and having acknowledged that we are strangers and aliens, exiles in the, in the earth, on the earth. For people who speak like this make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. And heaven is ahead. And y'all, if you've, if you've put your trust in Jesus, you do understand that you don't ever have to wonder again. Christ said it is finished. It is done. Somebody else has done everything needed. And that somebody is the Son of God He is 100% man taking our place. He is 100% God. He did not fail. His death, if we put our trust in Him, will never fail us. We will always have Him. And we'll get to how we stumble in the midst of this in a minute, all right? But He's got you. And that matters. Uh, We know that heaven, that horizon, we know that's our true home. We are marching to Zion. And as this text says, we're not going back. We're heading toward the promises, greeting them from afar. Even if our hands are empty, we're heading toward the horizon, heading toward our homeland, as it's called. Now, I would like to say that um, some of the earlier generations, even of Americans, I'm talking about in the colonial period, these are the people that lost like a third of their children, you know, in childbirth, and there was not good medicine, and like people were dying and folks were did not have a long lifespan, and life was just hard, you know? And they had it, they found it, because life was so hard, they found it a little easier to kind of look up to the horizon and say, you know, life's hard, but you know, heaven does await. And, And in our world of instant gratification and continual entertainment and the world delivered to our doorstep through Amazon, click, Two days later, isn't that cool? Um, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's bad. But uh, a lot of us probably don't think of our future hope 
enough. We, we, we tend to be, and I would include myself in this struggle, we tend to be so enamored with, with this world that, that heaven might even be, and there are people that have stated, I'm, heaven just doesn't sound very exciting to me. Gary Larson, you remember the far side? Love the far side. Uh, in one of uh, the, his far side cartoons, there's a guy with there's a guy with wings, a white robe, and a halo, and he's sitting alone on a cloud, thinking the bubble thought, "I wish I'd brought a magazine." That's not the way it's going to be. No, it's not going to be boring in heaven. This this is amazing. This is home, y'all. This is, this is home. This is more amazing than I can describe. If if six seconds were allowed by God to be videotaped and put of heaven itself and put on YouTube, it would go viral in an hour. Because we've never seen anything like this before. Oh, it's it is as Jonathan Edwards called it is a world of love. It, it, it is amazing, and and the cool thing is that God has put eternity in our hearts. Every single human being has yearnings that can only be answered by heaven. And so often that's why people are so desperately looking for it here, but cannot find it. One of the big futilities of man is taking a heavenly transcendent longing that only God in his love can fulfill and trying to find it in other places on earth that simply cannot bear the weight of those expectations, cannot bear the weight of those hopes and dreams. C.S. Lewis in his famous essay, The Weight of Glory, says this. He says, in speaking of this desire for our own far-off country... I feel a certain shyness talking about heaven. And he says, I'm almost committing an indecency to be shy about it. And then Lewis goes on to compare the feeling in his soul about heaven to be like a secret that we all know, but we, we, we can't all talk about it. It's kind of like a secret that we've, we've all just kind of grasped something of this secret that's in our soul. Quote, it is the secret that we cannot hide and cannot tell, though we desire to do both. We cannot tell it because it is is a desire for something that has never actually appeared in our experience. We cannot hide it because our experience is constantly suggesting heaven. All the things that you enjoy the most... All the things that are most meaningful, you see, they're not the thing itself. They're suggestive of the greater joy and the greater completion and wonder of what human beings were made for. He says, Lewis does, that we sometimes call this feeling The best word we've got for it is beauty, like transcendent beauty. He says, but this isn't enough. Lewis says, it's not enough to read about this beauty in books or to try to go back into our lives and try to find it in the best experiences of our lives because we don't find the thing itself. We only find reminders of the greater thing. And I'll end with this quote uh, from Lewis. For they are not the thing itself. They are only 
It's one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes. Y'all ready for this? This is incredible. They are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower that we have not yet found. They're only the echo of a tune that we have not yet heard. They are news from a country that we have not yet visited. You see, what's so great about faith in Hebrews is it is the the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Everybody has faith in something. What's so great about the, 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 the open eyes here in 13 through 16 is that this is how we are made. We are made to long for home. The great Puritan writer John Owen said that whatever sigh or groan about this life that you have, at the bottom of that groan is a longing for heaven. But we're in the midst of a broken world, and we long for the wholeness of heaven. We long to be free. We long to behold the real reality. And believers cannot be fully at home in a broken and still breaking world. That's why our text calls us aliens and strangers on the earth. Our home is not here. As wonderful as this time, this place, and our callings in this place are, they are nothing compared to what is going on up there. What God has prepared, I have not seen nor ear heard, nor entered into the thoughts of man what God has prepared for his children. Can you, can you just, do you just want it? Just taste it, you know? That's a part of what's wrong with us. We've been told everywhere we turn that we can have it all now, and it's our fault that we don't have it. We haven't found the right products. We're not smart enough. We're not wealthy enough. We're not powerful enough. If we just do this, if we just got this, if we just became this. But what we really long for down in our depths, we cannot have that right now. Because this life simply cannot deliver what home with God alone can deliver. You know the word here? You see it in verse 14. They're looking for a homeland. Do you know what the actual word in the Greek is? It's patris. Patris. It literally means they were looking for a fatherland. A fatherland. Now this isn't a land that we got to conquer to have. This is a land that's waiting for us. Maybe we put it this way. As a southerner, maybe I put it this way. We're looking for the home place. Where the Heavenly Father is. You know, we're, we're, your family has always been there. They're waiting for you there. This is where, and this place alone is where you'll be truly recognized for who you are. And you'll be truly accepted and truly loved. It's where your Heavenly Father is. It's the, the fatherland. It's, it's where we finally long to be. And if this world is not our home then it will affect us how we look at this world. If, if we can say we are aliens and strangers in this world, we're greeting the promises from afar. We're heading in that direction. Don't have to have it in our hand. We know that God is good. And even beyond the promises is our homeland. That's a great mindset for life. That's a healing mindset for life. 
So the first thing is, is this, this, this empty hands and open eyes of faith. The second thing is, is the overflowing reward of God's grace. Verse 16, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, because he's prepared for them a city. And I I love these words. They are the essence of the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and every reiteration, I will be their God, and they will be my people. And that covenant was instituted, that covenant was brought about by the initiation of a loving God who did not find us beautiful or lovely, we were just sinners. You love that passage where, God tells Israel, you know, I didn't come to you because and choose you because of anything in you. It wasn't because you were the greatest. Oh, you were the least, but I loved you. You're just my choice. And and I and I and, and it says he, he put his affection, he, he put his love onto Israel. This this is the covenant. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And the good news about the covenant is it's always been finally about what God does for us. He comes to sinners that don't deserve it. He's the one that fulfills the covenant. He sends his son. And what do we get? We get God bound by himself to us. He binds himself to me. Think about this. Through the fulfillment of the covenant, through Jesus The Lamb of God foreshadowed the Lamb of God once and for all sacrifice. And all through the Bible, as all of this is played out, God is saying to sinners, I am binding myself forever to you. Now, I don't know how that strikes you, but you know, for those of us who mess up, that's a beautiful thing. And you get into this passage and it says, and God is not ashamed to be called their God. It's talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, I'm just going to leave Abraham and Isaac alone because the really stunner there that God's not ashamed to call Jacob, being called the God of Jacob. Why? Because Jacob was a deceiver from the beginning. He was the usurper. He was the supplanter. He was the one that tricked Esau out of his birthright. He was the one that lied in, in that, that whole thing with his dad to, to get the blessing instead of Esau. Jacob kind of tricks and, and op- he's an operator, operates in and out of all kinds of things. Kind of like us. Jacob's filled with fear and he does all kinds of things. But you know, God loves Jacob. And Jacob loved God. Jacob was a mess up who loved God. And uh, remember, Jacob wrestled with an angel who was a representation of the very presence of God. And remember what Jacob said to this representation of the presence of God? I will not let you go unless you bless me. I've got to have you. And God wrenched him his socket out of his, his place in his hip, hip. God blessed him right there in that place called Peniel, and he was renamed Israel at that point. 
No, this is grace. This is encouragement. God says, I am not ashamed to be called the God of Joseph Wheat because of my grace. I am not ashamed to be called the God of Lee Elkins because that's what he calls himself, Lee. Because of my grace. Man, we can, we can greet the promises from afar. The love of God, the call of God. We don't have to have it in our hands. We just kind of move trusting God. We can see beyond the, the greeting of the promises to, to heaven itself, the fatherland that's waiting for us. And that matters how we live our life today. And, and it's all from this God who is not ashamed to be called our God. And then that last little bit, for, in the ESV, for, verse 16, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. He has prepared for them a city. This is not a country estate. Whatever you think about heaven, if you just think it's this beautiful rolling country estate where you can live alone, you're wrong. No, you're not going to want to live alone in heaven. You're going to want to live with your family in heaven. That's where they'll recognize you. That's where they'll love you. No, he has prepared a city for him, for them. You know, Jesus said something similar, didn't he? I, I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may be also. There's a new home. There's a new home place. The title has been paid for by Jesus. The title is in your name. It's ready for move-in. And it's already paid for. And it's beyond anything you can ever imagine. A city of grace and glory and close, sweet fellowship. I want you to think about a few times in your life when you were gathered with some friends. And maybe you were on the porch or maybe you were in your living room or maybe you were out doing something. And you just didn't stop talking until about 2 a.m. because there was just a connection there, you know? That's kind of what it's like. But so much more than that. Um, we must not forget this. I want to close by telling one more Pioneer Mission story. This is kind of global day, okay? Uh, the first was Lilius Trotter and how she didn't have it in her hand. but She kind of saw heaven in the end. The second is uh, from the journals of another really great pioneer missionary, Henry C. Morrison, who had been in Africa for 40 years. And this was right after the turn of the century. It's about 15 years after Lilius Trotter. Um, we read, and I'm just going to read a paragraph, uh, that he, he had to return to New York uh, each day of those 40 years had brought joy, sorrow, pain, and wonder, kind of like your life and my life, joy, sorrow, pain, and wonder. Because of poor health, the mission board brought Henry and his wife back to the United States for retirement as teachers and encouragers of missionaries. And here's where it gets really interesting. So you, can you see this big steamer that's heading into New York Harbor and there's the Statue of Liberty? Guess who else was on the boat with Henry C. Morrison? Theodore Roosevelt, the President of the United States. 
So the president is on the, the, the boat, and as they come into the harbor, there's all these, like, this flotilla of people, and there's all these horns going off, welcoming the president, the president back in. And, uh, he's greeted at the deck, you know, the, the, heart, the, uh, dock, rather, with huge fanfare. The president had just spent three weeks in Africa on a hunting safari for a large game with a group of his friends. When he came down the gangplank, it was packed. Everybody was going crazy. The band was playing. It was amazing. And then he got into a car and sped off, and the crowd dispersed. Of course, Henry C. Morrison wasn't anywhere near the President of the United States on that huge boat. Henry Morrison took his wife's hand, and together they made their way down the now quiet gangplank to an almost empty dock. No one was there to greet them. They eventually, he eventually held up his hand and hailed a cab to go to the one-bedroom apartment supplied by the mission board. Henry Morrison was very dejected at this. All those years, all that sacrifice, all those souls, all the work, Everybody cheered the guy who'd been in Africa three months hunting. But he said that in the midst of his deepest dejection, a small voice came to him saying, and some of the stories say his wife told him that. And wives do confuse themselves with the Holy Spirit sometimes. We'll go with the small voice, okay? All right. A small voice came to Morrison, Henry, you're not home yet. Your welcoming party hasn't started because you're not home. You see, God had planned a, a party for Henry Morrison so much bigger than the, the fanfare of, for the president. God had prepared a city better than the Big Apple. Better than anything he'd ever seen. And God says, I am the God of Henry C. Morrison. Henry, here are the keys to the city. It's yours. Your home. Where are you with faith? How are you with empty hands? It's okay. Can you, can you see the, the love and promises of God and greet them even though they're afar off and just go in that direction and just put one leg in your pants every morning after the other and walk after Jesus in a relationship? And, and can you see past those promises to a city that's waiting for you? What you look ahead to makes a big difference in your life right now. Let's pray. Lord, this is so good. This is breathtaking. God, would you just allow us to walk with you? Lord, would you allow us to, to turn our eyes upon Jesus, as the song says, and look full in his wonderful face and let the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Lord, would you 
Would you help us as believers? You've called us to a life of love, a a life of faithfulness, a, a life of proclamation, showing and telling the gospel. Lord, would you help us greet these promises and these callings, even from afar? Lord, would you help us just to walk with you and love people in your name? And God, thank you that Emmanuel's land is waiting for us. Oh, Lord, would you encourage your people with the fact that even though we are sinners, you love us as a covenant-keeping God. Even though we're sinners that have to repent because we do love you, God, you are not ashamed to be called our God, and you've prepared for us a city. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.